0: We're going to be in the book of First Peter today. There's a few verses that uh, I want to share with you and just really zone in on one in the middle of it, but we not want to read the whole context, so if you have a Bible, join me, and don't you like, isn't that a, isn't that a catchy title for a sermon? You know, Daryl then asked me, what are you going to preach on? I said, well, I'm going to preach on the future of our past, and she goes, oh, that's so intriguing, and she never bothered to ask me what it was about. She, she was happy in the mystery, I think, and so... Um, And (laughs) I hope I can unpack the mystery of it. I'm going to try to do something that's virtually impossible today, and that is to bring understanding, to turn the lights on on the inside uh, on on a concept, an idea. And I think you'll understand it when we begin to dive into it. But let's read together from the Scripture. And uh, beginning in verse 13, I read from the New King James. It's my personal preference translation, and uh, not that others aren't sufficient. It just happens to be what I read from, so if you're following and it doesn't quite line up, it's because of the translation I'm reading, but that's what it is, and if you don't have a Bible, i will have it up on the screen as you see. All right, beginning of verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? What a great thought. If you don't like being put in handcuffs over the hood of a police car, stop doing bad. I mean, this is filled with all kinds of pithy wisdom. I'm a master of the obvious. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, good news, you are blessed. Don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And if you're in the habit of underlining or highlighting your Bible, I would strongly encourage you to circle that phrase hope that is in you it's a very powerful thing it's the hinge point of this this verse in many ways and to do so with meekness fear or reverence having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers those who revile your good conduct in christ may be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of god to suffer for doing good than for doing evil i think that makes sense as well um, before I dive into this, I, I want to uh, give you a little FYI on uh, something. Uh, f- a few weeks ago, of course, one of my good friends from around the world, Dr. Abraham Pothen, uh went to be with the Lord, and uh, that was uh, indeed a sad time. And uh, Pastor Justin mentioned that we want to do a, a, a gift in honor of him. Um, now, here's what I know about Dr. Abraham I, Abraham, let me, I'm going to give you a little background because many of you don't know it. Abraham was really a transformational relationship to New Life Church. We were just an everyday, ordinary, local church, kind of just bumbling along. And then I, I, I entered into a divine uh, kingdom relationship with Abraham. Uh, I met him in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and in 15 minutes he invited me to come to India. Uh, And so I was in my mind. I'm thinking, all right. I nearly went through a civil war uh, with the people at New Life about leaving for a week to go to Buenos Aires. How am I going to explain to them? Oh, by the way, I'm leaving to go to India. And um, but anyway, it became a transformational relationship. And through that relationship, we were able to accomplish some incredible things in Abraham's lifetime on planet Earth. And I got to know him very, very well. And here's what I know: he would not want a personal gift. Okay? He'd be very uncomfortable with that. So I'm going to honor him and I want, New Life is going to honor him. We mentioned that we were going to, if you wanted to bring a gift in his honor, to do so. Right uh, about two weeks before he passed away, uh, I received an email from his son, Emmanuel, and he outlined, I think, five different projects that they need to take care of upgrades to continue the ministry that Abraham and Molly have founded. And that's everything from upgrading their computer lab at the Bible College. To, I mean, there's practical stuff. There's four or five. And here's what I think would be a blessing to Abraham. Now, I know this because when I was with him, uh, I, I, I got to go and visit him um, before he passed away. And, uh, you know, over over three or four days, I had three 10-minute conversations with him where he was coherent enough to, to uh, have a conversation with me. I'm going to tell you exactly what he talked about. You know what? He didn't talk about being afraid of dying or any of those things. You know what he talked to me about? One thing: planting churches, advancing the gospel, increasing the kingdom of God. It was his heart to the very end. And so uh, what I think we should do is package a gift. Uh, those gifts range from a few thousand to maybe 10 or 15,000, depending on what the project is, and we'll just do it on the basis of whatever comes in. But we'll dedicate those resources to, to up to one of those projects to advance. Uh, his legacy and his ministry moving into the future. You know, if you've got a real vision from God, it outlives you. Yeah. See, <laughs> oh, that was underwhelming. Um, if you have a genuine kingdom vision, it always outlives you because it's bigger than what you can do in your lifetime. And so Abraham was one of those people. So anyway, if you want to give to that, you can give to New Life Church, designate on the memo, or there's a line item, I think, on the, on, if you give electronically uh, for that, and... Uh, We'll let you know uh, what project we, we sponsor. Is that okay? So if you want to give, I want you to know all, 100% of it's going to go there and it's going to help to continue on that, that great ministry that uh, has been raised up in India. Okay, everybody, um, this, this morning we're going to talk uh, about this subject called the, the future of our past. And what we're going to do is I'm going to show you a video. And some of you know that I love history. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you 2,000 years of church history in a minute and 28 seconds. And there's going to be a test at the end of our message today, okay? So so this is going to move really fast. I'm going to show you 2,000 years of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And what you're going to see is that it expands and contracts and forces rise up and come against it, and then the kingdom moves back in, in, in place. And you're going to watch this. And it to me, this, mo- this little video is so inspiring because it tells why the why of what we do and why we do it. And so I, I hope it encourages you. It does me. Now, it's, like I said, it's 2,000 years in a minute and 26 seconds. So when I say it's going to move fast, it's moving fast. And what I'm going to show you is that up in the left-hand corner it's going to show you what year is transpiring, and that thing is rolling. It's like, shoo, you know, it's like the, the change machine on the old pay telephones. I mean, it's just, it's just ringing it up, okay? And you're going to see the years, and you're going to see these movements, and uh, I hope it moves you uh, in, 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 with inspiration. But more importantly, the big question that I want every person to, to ask themselves while this is, this is spinning forward is this dominant question which is this how did this happen so you get the question frame how did this happen just but be first of all be amazed and then be filled with wonder to say how did this happen because this i hopefully hopefully this will encourage you so okay guys a minute and 26 seconds 2000 years And it appears that Jesus is winning. Come on. The rise of empires. Kingdoms will rise and fall. But of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Now watch what begins to happen. And then the moment. back. And of the increase of His government, there shall be no end. I hope that struck a chord in you and inspired you to realize that Jesus is advancing His kingdom and the gates of hell cannot stop it. And you're on the winning side. But the question is, how Did this happen? Now, here's why that's an important question. For the first 1,500 years, they had no Bibles because there were no printing presses. How did this happen? And then when the printing presses were made and came through, the idea of a personal Bible only emerged in the last 120 years. Of 2,000 years of church history. How did this happen? No technology. They had no political power. They had no influence. They had no history. They had nothing to fall back on. How did it happen? It's a profound and important question that I hope I can bring some understanding to today. And now, here's why that's important. I just want you to keep that in place. And I want to. Sh- to uh, reflect back to something that Pastor Justin and Pastor Tom spoke about a few weeks ago where they they mentioned to you that in one of the most recent surveys of people who do surveys, you know, there are statistics and then there is the truth. You people are not as much fun as the first service. (laughs) I don't know. It's like you you, you don't know quite how to take me. Okay. It's okay. I'm a one-week wonder. It's going to be over soon. So, Uh, where in a a recent survey that uh, the greater Portland area, now I'm going to set the stage so that you understand this. In the state of Maine, uh, a little over 50% of the entire population of our state live in Cumberland and York County. Okay? It's here. So when people talk in society that there are two mains, there really are. Okay? And but we we dominate, The, the population centers are in those two counties. And um, so, Barner Research uh, discovered that, that the greater Portland area, or this geographic area, is, uh, the, has, is the second highest city to declare what is called a post-Christian worldview. Now, the problem is that most people don't know what the word post-Christian means. Now, my background is in church growth and world missions, and so uh, I'm supposed to be able to explain these things to you. Here's what happens when we say we're in a post-Christian society. The average person like you sitting out there here's this. That means that number of people don't go to church. That's not what it means to be post-Christian. It doesn't mean that they don't go to church. It's, it, it is something far more uh, deeper than that, and, and that is this, that there is nowhere in their life where they have any kind of family or relational or historical connection to anything of Christianity. So let me explain it to you in a simple way so that you get it. You know, when I when we started New Life Church, Bitterford was known for being a pretty heavily Catholic area, Bitterford, saco About 94% of the people came from a Catholic heritage. And I, I, I didn't have a bias. I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't have a bias one way or the other. I, all I knew was this, that I couldn't become a Catholic and be a Catholic priest because I was married and had four kids. And so it was just a practical matter here. I mean, I didn't know a lot about, about church stuff. You know, I wasn't really into the politics of all of this. But I came to, 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 to reach the people who weren't going anywhere to church. I didn't really care what their background was. But when, what would happen is over and over again, as people came walking through the door, they would always, you know, pull me aside and whisper to me in the back so that nobody could hear, which is they would all go, I'm Catholic. And it's like, that's not a big surprise to me. Ninety-one percent of the people that live in this town come of Catholic heritage. You know, if somebody pulled me aside and went, I'm Baptist, I said, how did you make it here? Because, because there just weren't many, you know. But see, that, those people are not post-Christian. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about a way of seeing life that is completely disconnected from any kind of Judeo-Christian value system. They don't, they don't see life the way that you and I are to see life. They don't evaluate something. So they might, look, you and I would look at something and we would go through our value system. We would come to a conclusion and say, well, that's just wrong. They will come to a different conclusion, and and we will get mad at them, but the real reason they're coming to a different conclusion is they think completely differently about it. you seeing it? See, they don't carry what we carry in any way, shape, or form. So if you ask somebody who is truly in a post-Christian world, if you said to them, are you Christian? If you said to people who come from a a family heritage, they don't go to church at all. They haven't been to church since they were christened but they will say to you, my family's Catholic, or, you know, or my, my dad's a Presbyterian. They'll give you a family connection to Christianity. People in a post-Christian world say, I don't believe anything. They are, and I don't say this in any ca- way uh, as, as, a, as a judgmental statement, they are neo-pagans. They, 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 they're the new pagans. And I'm not saying that, as I said, in a judgmental way. It's just that they're, they 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 sometimes are polytheistic, sometimes they're into magic, they're into they're into witchcraft. That's why there are whole television stations and networks dedicated to witchcraft shows. They're into black black arts. They're into they're, they they believe in power. They 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 have a they have an understanding and a desire for spiritual power, but they, they have no formation and, and relationship to Christianity. So I'm going to make the picture a little bit darker for you, okay? Because for me, this is all good news. You, see, you are so different. I know. I'm left-handed, which means I'm in my right mind. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's. A, this is, this is, this is true theology right now. You know. Adam, Adam was, was born and formed by the hand of God to be left-handed, and then he committed his first sin and became right-handed. So, get back on task, Jeff. On any given weekend in York and Cumberland County, only about three, between three and a half and four percent of the entire population will be in a church like this where they will hear that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I said 3.5%. It's not 60%, it's not 40%, it's 3.5%. About another 1.9% will be attending Catholic Mass or something of that nature. So the numbers are really low. You say, why is that good news? We have got an incredible market opportunity. There's no limit to how big a church can grow in Southern Maine because we got a lot of candidates. I mean, this is not like Atlanta, Georgia. You know, we're 70% of the population is in a Protestant church on any given Sunday morning. If I were a a home thief, Sunday morning would be my target in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm just telling you that right now. Say, what is wrong with you? I'm old enough to tell you the truth. And so, here is why I want to talk about the future of our past and the question: How did this happen? How did this happen? Is so foundationally important. You know, a few years ago, well, actually a number of years ago, actually it was in the last century. <laughs> That's scary to say that. In the last century, when I was young, uh, the Lord was pushing me to become involved in, in healing. And, see, I kind of had this thing. Now, I I got into power ministries. So this might weird all of you out, but it's okay. I'm a one-week wonder. I got into power ministry by dealing with people who are demonized. They had demonic troubles. I don't use, I'll never use, and I don't use the phrase demon possession because, frankly, it's not in the Bible. That's an English translation that is terrible. It's one word. They're demonized. They have a demon. I don't know if it's in them, on them, around them, through them, Um, but they're not, the the demons don't have a right to possess anything. They just, they're they're troubled by demonic powers, okay? So I I, I kind of got launched into that, not because I wanted to, but because I got drugged into it kicking and screaming, which is the way most of my life has been with Jesus, okay? And so I'm, and so I, I, but I kind of viewed it like a union, because I'm blue collar. It's like, so Jesus said, you need to start, you know, healing the sick. And I go, I don't do that, I just do demons, I, mean, I Have unusual conversations with Jesus. I, I don't do that. I just do demons. He goes, "No, you need to heal the sick." Now, now, it's interesting what Jesus told me. And by the way, this is all in your Bible. You know, Jesus didn't tell us to pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. He say what? He didn't say to pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. But see, we read it. We got to pray for him, and we got to pray for him the right way, which is because I didn't know how. To, I didn't know how to heal the sick. And, I, and so I, I just started watching TV shows where they, were, they prayed for people. And I thought, well, that must be how you heal the sick, which means you've got to do a tremendous amount of, of calisthenics and sweat a lot. <laughs> and you've got to have a lot of oil involved in it, no matter what it is. I mean, this is the late 80s, early 90s. So you've got to have a lot of oil. And so I'm thinking, what kind of oil? And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to try extra, extra, extra virgin olive oil because it's got to be pure <laughs> I tried that, and that didn't work. And then I thought, well, what about 3 and one Because that sounds really spiritual. It's the Trinity. And that, that, that 3 and one that wasn't cutting it. And then, and, then I, and then someone told me the real problem was my oil wasn't from Israel. So I got some Israeli oil, and that wasn't working. I mean, I'm slathering people up. And I was trying to get somebody healed one time. I mean, I'm sweating. I'm doing all the charismatic things. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm casting stuff out that doesn't exist. The sweat's <laughs> pouring off me. And this person is getting sicker, I think because of what I'm doing. I mean, they're miserable. And in the middle of it, I hear the voice of the Lord. And Jesus whispers to me, and He says it just like this. He says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm about to try to get this person healed. He said, I don't think so. I said, what do you mean you don't think so? He says, what are you doing? I said, this is how you do it. He goes, no, it's not. I said, well, what? what? He said, why don't you do it the way we did? And I went, What? Uh, what do you mean do it? I didn't know how they did it. So, so I had to go back and I, and I went back and I read all the Gospels and I read all the prayers of healing that Jesus gave. And they were weird. There was nothing like what I was watching on television. I mean, you know what, there, there was no oil being slathered around. People weren't sweating and screaming in tongues. I mean, here's the, I, the, the, these are the prayers of Jesus to, to heal the sick. Get up rise, (laughs) be well, see. That's profound. What a profound thing to say to a blind person. See. And it changed my whole perspective because I realized that we had put a whole bunch of layers on it and made it way more complicated than it ever was intended to be. Could it be that our future is the past. Could it be that what we really need to do is answer the question, how did they do it? How did they do it? How how did that map happen like that? How did that happen? They have no history, no political power. They had no numbers. They had no Bibles. They had no Bible studies. They had no media. They had no technology. They had no theological schools. They had no Bible training. How did did they pull this thing off? I think that's a logical question, particularly in the fact of this, that there was no Judeo-Christian heritage to lean on because it didn't exist. They were pre-Christian. They were in a pagan culture. Pagan Rome, the worship of the gods, decadence, all manner of sexual perversion. I couldn't even talk in in an open forum like this about the depths of depravity of the Roman Empire. Infanticide was practiced on a regular basis where unwanted babies were thrown in the sewer alive. I could list to you almost unspeakable things, and yet somehow this thing called Christian faith exploded, It took over, it changed the world, it changed your world. This country exists, the country that you're sitting in, our freedoms exist of this explosion of the kingdom of God? How did did they do it? And in the same way that Jesus asked me, why don't you do it the way we did it? Could it be that He isn't just inviting us in this post-Christian culture that we're moving into? Do it the way we did it. We need to understand how they did it. And I think the key, at least some of the key, maybe not all of it, but a good portion of it is right here in one verse. simple process. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So what does that involve? Let me walk you down through this to help you. Step number one is this. It's right at the very beginning. Settle the issue of your heart. Settle the issue of your heart. Notice that Peter didn't talk about their heads. He didn't say, you just need to pursue the power of positive thought control. You just need to think the right thoughts. He didn't. He said the first, and the word sanctify, it's an old-fashioned word, It simply means set apart. Make make a clear decision. It's not an emotion. It's not a sentiment. You need to make a decision. You need to set apart Jesus as Lord in your heart. You need to settle the issue of the heart. Why? Because the number one issue of all humanity is not their head. The number one issue... see, See, we think that if we could just reason with people the right way, then they'll be eager to become Christians. And it isn't true. See, I've spent a lifetime with people who wanted to argue with me why they were never going to believe about Jesus. And I wouldn't argue with them because I would just end it with one question. i say, before we start this debate, which by the way, I'm going to win because it's my office. And so, but before we do, you answer me one question. And that question is this. If I answer every question you have to your personal satisfaction, will you bend your knee and give your life to Jesus Christ? You know what they said? No. You know why they said no? Because all I was exposing is this. The problem is not your head. It's the heart. What about your heart? Have you settled the issue of your heart? Why? Proverbs 4.23 tells us that above everything else, guard your heart, because out of it flow all the issues of life. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't, he, didn't even, he didn't even hesitate. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. It's the heart. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. You, you need to see this because, because I think we, 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 we think we've got to change the way these people think about things. And I'm here to tell you that you can't until there's a change of heart. Watch this. Paul lays this out so beautifully, so perfectly. Verse 17, then I say, therefore, and I testify, chapter 4, verse 17, I testify in the Lord that you, you all, should not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He's saying their behavior is a consequence of how they view life or how they're thinking. But the way that they're thinking is futile. And what he's saying is you shouldn't behave the same way the rest of society is. Okay. So if the rest of society is walking around with their hair set on fire all the time, don't. Some of us don't have enough hair to risk it. Just let it go. You want to be counterculture today? Just don't be ticked off by everything. And that is a miracle. Move on, Jeff. Their behavior is a consequence of the way that they are thinking. That is true. But then he moves on and he says this, having their understanding darkened. Why is their understanding darkened? And he tells us two reasons. Number one is this, because they are, they are what? Alienated. Oh, I'm going to help some of you today on this one. He didn't say that they're alienated from the Word of God. He didn't say that they're alienated from the knowledge of God. He said that they're alienated from the life of God. You say, what do you mean the life of God? Well, I'm, a, I'm about to get there. But let me help you to understand this. All of you, every person here, if you don't get anything else out of what I say, Jesus never come to make, didn't come to make you spiritual. He didn't come to make you religious. He didn't come to make you a churchgoer. He came that you might live. I have come that you might have life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. In Him was life. And that life was the light of man. Oh, come on. Well, I want to tell you this. You know what the great, great enemy of genuine life is? It's not death. It's just existing. It's truly being the walking dead with the same attitudes and the same mindsets and everybody hates me and I'm a victim of everything and everyone's against me. I can spend several years talking about that. Jesus came that you'd be fully alive, that you would be an anomaly in a society that just exists. He came to bring you alive. Why do people think the wrong way and live the wrong way? It's not not just because they need a change of mind. They need a change of heart. Because they need to become connected to the life of God. Oh, wait, He's not done yet. Watch this. And because of the ignorance that is in them, because of what? The blindness or the hardness of their heart. See, I'm going to come down to to, to just a couple of questions that are very important. Now, these are definitive questions. Now, let me help you because I'm a frustrated English teacher. If you are asked a definitive question, you are called to give a definitive answer. Does that make sense? If you're asked a definitive question and you give an evasive answer, it means that you're being evasive. You're, You're trying to move away from the real answer. So if I ask you the question, I think it's the most important question you can ever answer in life. When did you meet Jesus? That's a definitive question. When did you meet Jesus? Now let me tell you how people have answered that for most of my life. Well, I've been going to church for a while. That is not the answer. Okay? That's my, like that's like saying do you have children? And the answer being, I visited a maternity ward once. <laughs> what? You know, are you married? No, but I—I I, I don't know. I've been to many weddings. Hello. Either you are, or you aren't. Right? I mean, if somebody said, if if, if 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 Barry said to me, I said, "Are you married?" And Kathy heard the answer. Well, I've been to a lot of weddings. <laughs> The next thing I'm going to be doing is Barry's funeral. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean you can't answer the question? It's a simple question. Either you are or you aren't. When did you meet Jesus? That's what it means to set Jesus apart as Lord in your heart. Because it, what we need is a heart transplant that will change our view of life. It'll change our affections. It will change our passions. It will change our desires because the problem isn't just intellectual. It's a deeper level. And we need to be willing to ask the question that I'm asking you today, when did you meet Jesus? And if you cannot answer it, today could be your day. And at the end of this, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that your day. Because you need to be able to answer the question. See, that leads to the second part of this verse. I'm going to pick this up because it's going to drive me a little bit bonkers. Thank you, dear. That's my daughter. I can call her, dear. Don't get weird on me. I'm still allowed, Ben. Hallelujah. Just from a distance. To call her dear? You have to settle the issue in your heart. Have I met Jesus? Because that leads to the second one, which is this. Prepare to tell your story. Look at what Peter says. He says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And always be ready to to give an answer, a defense to everyone who asks you for why you are so hopeful. Prepare to tell your story. See, see, see if you are a true Christian, I'm going to kind of set the stage for you to understand this so that you, you'll just have to wrestle with it. The good news is this, every person here has a story, but every true Christian has a has a a BC and an AD. They have a before and an after story. You see, Jesus Christ divided all of history into before and after. We celebrate it. It's on your calendar. It's on your checks. It's on every legal document, the number, the year, the calendar year, in the year of our Lord. We divide it before and after, before Jesus and after Jesus. But every true Christian has a before Jesus and after Jesus story that they can tell. And what Peter says is, first deal with whether or not you have a story, but then be ready to tell your story. Prepare your story. You see, here's what I know. Every person here has a story. But is your story a before and after story? That's what he's talking about. Why do you need to prepare your story? Because there's somebody outside these walls that needs your story. You didn't just rescued for yourself. There needs to be… Why? Because people can't identify with people who are doing well. Look, listen, I come, I come from a mess. I don't even know how to describe our family tree. It's either a single pole or a bramble bush. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's just sick and twisted. I remember sitting with my older brother. After my, after my, my next oldest brother died of AIDS, and I was sitting with my older brother and we had gone through the funeral and we had, had gone through, listen, I was the pariah. I'm the Christian and I've got to sit through this whole thing inside the gay community. I mean, you talk about people being uncomfortable. I wasn't uncomfortable with them. I'm going to tell you this. I'm telling you the story. I'm telling you the truth because you know what? It's time that we took the lid off making people ashamed of the fact that they come from messy places. The good news is if you come from a messy place and you're no longer living in a messy place, you've got a story to tell and there's somebody who can identify with that story. I'm sitting with my brother on the other side of it. This is the brother who'd been in the state penitentiary. See, so one brother dies of AIDS. My other brother has, has just gotten out of the state penitentiary, and we're sitting in the car, and we're and about to say goodbye because we don't know each other. We didn't grow up together. And we're about to part ways, and he just bursts into tears. This is an ex-con. Do you understand? I mean, this is a big, tough guy. I mean, I'm talking big tough. And he bursts into tears. And he, go, and he starts going, you know, I'm a failure. I can't, I'm not as good a man as you. I can't make it. And I just, I stopped and I said, Mike, you just stop something. Let me help you to understand something. The DNA that's inside your body is the same DNA that's inside mine. We come from the same bloodline. We come from the same heritage. We come from the same mess. Let me help you to understand something. There's only one reason that I live a different life than you, and it's not because I'm better at it, because I'm frankly not. I'm here because I met Jesus Christ, because I have a before and an after story. And every person here, you can have a before and after story that will give other people hope, because what people need is hope. They don't need to know that they can just be a perpetual victim and stay locked up in pain and suffering and misery and shame and guilt all of their days and just struggle mutually together. I'm here to tell you there's a Savior who has come to save people from their shame and their guilt and their brokenness and their pain and their suffering, and He wants to give you a before and after story. You say, why is that important? You want to know how that whole minute and 28 seconds, 26 seconds happened. It didn't happen because they had Bibles or they had political power or status in society. It happened because people had a story to tell and they went everywhere telling it, I've met Jesus. And before I was this, but now I am here You see, there's somebody that needs to hear your story and stop letting the devil keep you locked up in pain because it was embarrassing. Here's what I can tell you. I learned this a long time ago. Just start embarrassing the devil before he embarrasses you. Tell the story. Stand up and say, I have been freed by the power of Jesus Christ. I once was, but I now am, by the grace of God and the grace of loan. You know, the apostle Paul spent his whole life telling his story. It's in the book of Acts. He gets saved in Acts chapter 8. At the end of his life, he's before Felix and he's before King Agrippa. And what's he doing? He just tells a story. He says, this is what I was. I was a persecutor of the church. I had people killed. I had them put in prison. I hated, I hated Christians. I wanted to eliminate them from the earth. And then I met Jesus and now I've been spending the rest of my life trying to help every person, not just Jews, but can you believe it? I'm helping Gentiles. I love Gentiles. A Jew, I love Gentiles. This is a miracle of God. And he tells a story. You have a story to tell. Prepare your story. Now, there's two stories you need. You need, you need the multi-volume mini-series, you know, for long-term relationships, Right? but then you need the three-minute Reader's Digest version in case your plane's going down. Okay? And you got to know when to use each one. But you got to have a story. you got to have a story. What's that story revolving around? Watch this. Watch this. You know, this is all in one verse. Always be ready to give that story the defense. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. you just got to have your story. And so for everybody who asks you, why are you so hopeful? You should be a mess. Trust me, Barry. I know you should be a mess <laughs> because you have a story. See, for the for the reason for the hope, it provokes the question: Is anybody asking me? See, we've been rebuilding our home. We had a house fire about a year ago, and um, everybody here thought it was just a garage fire. It was the garage that was attached to the laundry room that was attached to the house, so we had to rebuild our whole house, and it was wonderful. I mean, it was. Just, uh, listen, my house has been completely remodeled brand new, and it hasn't cost me a dime. I mean, there are, there are values. You've got to look at the life half full. But what, the one thing that's been, it's been fun for me, this has really been fun. I've had all these contractors around my property, and they find out who I am. And I'll hear them. I'll be around the corner, and I'll hear them, one of them cuss, and the, and the other guy go, you can't do that here. And I, and that's just like, I mean, I mean, that's just like, you know, raw meat to a wolf for me. It's like, I just peek my head around the corner and go, oh, yes, you can. (laughs) As a matter of fact, you can cuss on the inside of the house too. And I go, what are you? I have a friend who refuses to believe that I'm a pastor. He thinks that I, I, he actually thinks I'm a CIA operative that smuggles money into foreign nations. He says, and I said, why do you believe that? He says, because you are not normal. He said, I've met pastors before. They're all religious. You are not. And, and I just, and I walk away going, thank God I succeeded somewhere in some person's life. But you see, they, we should be the most hope-filled people. Now, I want to talk to you about biblical hope real quick if I can do this. Biblical hope is not saying, if I ask you this question, I love definitive questions. If this was your last day on planet earth, would you go to heaven? You know what the number one answer is among most people that attend church? I hope so. Ah, Wrong answer. That's not biblical hope. You know what biblical hope is? I'm going. And I'm certain. Not because I'm good, but because He is. And He rescued me. And He put my name in the Lamb's book of life. And guess what, everybody? If I'm going through hell, good news, I ain't staying there. I'm moving on. You know what? I've got a hope I've got a Savior who's coming, and when He comes, He'll come riding in on a white horse with King of kings and Lord of lords tattooed upon His thigh, and He will right every wrong, and He will heal every injustice, and He will lift up every place of brokenness, and there'll be no more tears and no more sorrow, no more dying, no more suffering, for the former things will all pass away, and I have an inheritance in heaven. See, that's biblical hope, and if you don't have that, you're not there yet, but you can be. You see, that's why we should be hopeful. People always got the whole hair set on fire. Global warming. You know, I believe in global warming. You know why? It's right here in the book, book of 2 Peter. And, and the, uh, the heavens and the earth are going to melt with the fervent heat. It's going to get hot, baby. And then there's going to be a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And I'm going to get to live there. I'm going to get to fish there. I might, Jesus might even let me build a few things. I hope he's got a soft place in his heart for me because I too love carpentry. Do you understand? I'm not going to be flying around, you know, in an angel with an outie belly button flying around, you know, in, in, in outer space. I'm going to live on a literal, physical earth. I'm going to walk and talk, and I'm going to reign with Him and rule with Him for all eternity. Not because I say so, but because He has declared it, and He has deposited that with absolute certainty on the side of my life. That's why I can be hopeful no matter what's going on. You say, well, you just... Don't go through any difficulty. Oh, sister, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough time. That's not because I talk myself into it, because Jesus took my dark and bitter and angry and vengeful and murderous heart. You know when before I got saved? People ask me all the time, they said, what would you have happened? I said, well, I'd either be dead or I would have gone postal. I was had so much hatred in my heart for humanity because all that adults and human beings had ever done was abuse me and abandon me and break me. And Jesus gave me a brand new heart. And not just a brand new, listen, not so that I would just uh, now accommodate people, but to, to genuinely love people. and want to see them in the kingdom of God. See, you know what drives me, everybody? You know why I'm hopeful? Because I get to travel around the world and I go into places that other people don't want to go. You know why? Because those people need a chance too. See, Jesus, He didn't leave me out there. He rescued me. And I think everybody ought to have that chance. And I love... I love to live a life in such a way that people say, what makes you tick? You should be a mess. Yeah, I should be. But I'm not. It's not because I'm good at it. It's because I've met Jesus. And he's put hope in me. And the last one is this. It's it's, it's not tied into this, but it is tied to how they did it find it in the book of Acts, and I don't have time to, to discourse on it today, but you can read it yourself. It's when what happens is that persecution breaks out in, in Jerusalem. I mean, the Christians are running for their lives. This is when Saul, who was going to become the Apostle Paul, was getting letters from the, the religious right to persecute, kill, and put in prison anybody who proclaimed the name of Jesus. He was hunting them down. He was a bounty hunter. A religious bounty hunter. That's what he was doing. He'd already made sure that one of their spokesmen, Stephen, was put to death. So, these people are running for their lives. Can you pull it up on the screen for me? Acts chapter chapter 8, verse 1. Because I want you to follow down through the story because this is what happened out of individuals who had set apart Jesus as Lord in their life, who knew their story, who had hope. And it says this, that, and then They were scattered everywhere. Persecution arose. And they were all scattered. They they just fled for their lives throughout all of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles, they stayed huddled up. (laughs) Those brave men stayed huddled up in Jerusalem. And here's what happens. The next level of Christians, the next generation, if you will, just went about this. Move on to verse 2 and 3 for me, if you would. This is so beautiful because this is in a pre-Christian world. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3 Saul was having havoc in the church, entering houses, dragging men and off. Told you, he's a religious bounty hunter. So, this is pretty serious stuff going on. Now, watch what happens with a guy by the name of Philip. Keep on moving. And therefore, so that's what's going on. You got a religious bounty hunter dragging people off to prison. People are being put to death. Persecution's breaking out. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the Word. That is stupid. Come on, let's just be truthful. How dumb can these people be? That's the stuff that you get killed over. They didn't care. Philip goes down to the city of Samaria. Samarians were mixed-race people. They were Gentile and Jewish. They were Canaanites and Israel's and that was forbidden in the in the day. So, in, in, in anybody who comes from a a, 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 a a biracial environment, so often in many generations throughout society, are hated by both sides. I'm just being truthful. So Samaritans, they got a they got a big old they got a big old rejection stamped on their back. I mean, that's a messy place. Philip goes down and he begins to preach to them. And watch this. This is this is. The, Okay, <laughs> and the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things f- spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. There is there is nothing soft serve about what Philip did. <laughs> Keep going, gets <laughs> better. Four unclean spirits cried with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. I don't like that phrase, but will we'll, we'll get through it. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. This is, this is a non-Christian culture. You would think that you would like, well, you know what? We need to, we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're more sensitive to these unbelievers. I mean, they're just putting it in their face. Healing and miracles and deliverances. But here's the consequence that came into the city. And what? Great joy. I mean, there's hope. I want you to stand up with me. <clears throat> in the last century, I was preaching in India. I was taken into a village on the east coast of India where uh, no white person had ever been. And so the pastor, uh, actually, he had, they, had, they, had, they had just launched their church, which means that a pastor had gone to the village, which for thousands of years had been completely Hindu. And, uh, and so he got there. He'd been there a week, and then I came, and they said he, well, he wanted me to come and speak. So I showed up, and what he, what he had done, he, there was a place of dirt. They put some sticks and poles up, and they had a kind of a thatched roof over the top of it. And said, here, we have the church. Now, there's no believers there. They're all Hindus. And he, he wanted me to show up, which was great because my white skin and blue eyes, I don't know if it kind of stands out in India. And uh, the whole village showed up, but they're all Hindus. And then he looked at me, because he was younger than me, and he said, you preach. I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't do Hindus. Don't you understand the union? I basically, I heal and set people free from demons. I don't, I don't do this. And so he said, okay. So I kind of stumbled my way through it, blah, 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 blah. And I mean, it was hot. I mean, I'm, I'm talking major hot. And I was tired. I was jet lagged. And, uh, and I, I heard it come out of my mouth at the end of it. You know, I was kind of. I said, and uh, to show you that Jesus is real, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for you, and, and people are going to be healed today as a sign that Jesus is the Savior. People are going to be healed. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Seriously. And I thought, how am I going to do this? Because, you know, I mean, I've got a culture barrier, I've got a language barrier. I don't know if you know this, but in a lot of times when we're praying for people, you know, we use all kinds of language, and we forget that we're really trying to talk to Jesus rather than to the people. <laughs> and so I couldn't do that because I had a language barrier. I couldn't pray flowery prayers for him. so I thought, i got to do it the way Jesus did. And, and I'm going to, listen, I'm going to talk to you about my humanity. My humanity at that moment was this. I want to get this over with because I really want a Pepsi. <laughs> I mean, it was so stinking hot, and I mean... I was thirsty and jet lagged, it's like, I just want to be, I wish I could tell you that I was just, it's like, I, this is this is not working, I preached, I don't think they even heard, they understood one thing I said, I just want to get out of here, and so, uh, but now I open my big mouth, and I got to pray for all these people, so I just, I just started walking down through the, you know, on the, on the, on the dirt, and, um, and I was just walking through the people, and since I couldn't pray big flowery prayers, I just walked along. and I go, "Be healed, receive, be blessed." I mean, I only got three prayers for a whole, the whole church: be healed, receive, be blessed. <laughs> receive, be blessed, be healed. I, I change it up so that there's a little variety, and I'm going down through, down through, down through, down through, and I'm going down. And I and he was like, I got about two thirds of the way down. Like I got about two thirds of the way down this section. Over here, right about where Carol is sitting, it was about that design. I'll never forget this. All of a sudden, this woman started screaming at the top of her lungs. I, I thought, holy moly, feet don't fail me now. I mean, I'm just like, this is it. I didn't know what she was screaming about. I mean, they, they, I mean, the place exploded in pandemonium. I mean, literally, and then they all started screaming and I'm thinking, okay, this is where they eat the white man. I don't know what to, I don't know what to expect. I, I wish I could tell you that, listen, these are real things in me, okay? I know you want to think I'm this great man. This is the real me. On the outside, I'm like, mm. on the inside, it's like this is when they eat the white man. And so I said, what is going on? And, and the pastor says, come, 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 come. And I went over. And this woman is holding this little girl. She's about three years old, three, four years old. And he said to her in, in, uh, in their language, in Tamil, he said, and he said, go ahead, do it. Which, and I didn't know if that's what he was saying. And so this little girl goes, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And the whole place erupts again. And I, I don't know what's going on. And they're just all jumping and shouting and cheering. They all want me to pray for him more. I said, what is going on? He said, he said, well, it's because Jesus has worked a miracle here. I said, what are you talking about? He said, this girl has never uttered a sound from the time she was born. And her first words are in English. And she's never seen a white man or heard English. I thought, so much for my Pepsi. (laughs) I prayed for the people, and there was such great faith. They're all Hindus, they're not even saved. They had such great faith, people got healed that day. Sicknesses left them, curses left them, and then they got saved. Now, today, I'm going to tell you this. Today, there's a 1,000-seat auditorium in that very place that's filled over and over again. Not because of me, but because of Jesus, but mostly because of this woman. Now, that's not the end of the story. Now, you can applaud at the end of this one because this is awesome. So, they got me in a car, and they took me in. I had to preach that night. They had planned an open-air meeting. And, and so, they were going to use me. So, they drove, and we went about three, four hours away. And they just cut a swath out of a banana grove. Had big tube lights set up. Had six generators going. And then you got to tune the sound system to be louder than the generators. Which means it's like mega loud. Right? And so it's, I mean, it was, and, and, and I looked and I could see all these lights coming through the trees. And, and about, it's about 3,000 people showed up. And so I got up and I started preaching. And I'm doing, I mean, and, and, and I'm working hard now. I mean, I'm. It's perspiring. I'm about ready to get out the oil again and try anything. It's like, I don't think these people are getting it. And I, and I just happened to I happened to look like this. All of a sudden, right over here is that same woman who had followed us at her own expense to come to that meeting with her little girl. And I stopped preaching because I'm the big preacher. I stopped preaching. And I said, come. I said, "Can you just tell the story?" And a Hindu woman, who, by the way, she was a Hindu in the morning, she was a Christian at noontime, and she was a preacher at night. You get. You, she tells the story, and the whole place explodes, and people started giving their lives to Jesus, and getting healed and delivered. And it wasn't my preaching. It was one woman's story that changed that part of the world. You know why I'm telling you this? Because that process has not changed in 2,000 years. We think that it's big and complicated. It's not. But it starts with us knowing for sure that Jesus Christ rules and reigns my life. When did you meet Jesus? I'm going to pray, and in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to do the very hard thing, the very courageous thing, because I know it takes courage. I'm going to pray, and then when we do this song, I'm going to ask you to get out from where you're standing right now and come right down here and meet me. If you just want to settle the issue of your heart in relationship to Jesus Christ, your problem is not just the way that you think. You think the way you think. We all think the way we think because of the condition of our heart. But I've discovered that Jesus is an excellent surgeon and very good at taking out of us a dark heart and giving to us a heart of grace and love. And it'll change the way we think about life. But it starts by settling the issue, when did you meet Jesus? Today, you can say, today was the day. This morning in the first service, we had all these people come up here. I mean, there was was joy as people realized, I've settled the issue. Don't settle for just going to church. Don't obscure the real question. Have you settled the issue this morning? And if you want to, as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to slip out from where you are and come right here. And I know it takes courage, but right here you're among friends. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand right here to meet you and welcome you because this is going to be the best day of your life because now you're going to have a before and after story that can help change the world so Father in the name of Jesus I know this that apart from you I can do nothing and Lord I ask you by the grace of your spirit right now to rest upon the hearts and minds of men and women all through this auditorium some of them their hearts are racing because I know that I'm talking to them and I pray that you give them the courage to step out from where they are and take a short journey that will change life for all eternity. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make Jesus real to them and that this is the moment that they need to settle the issue that Jesus will be their Savior because they've crowned him as Lord. Not just in their mind, but in their heart, where all of the issues of life come from. And so Lord Jesus, draw people to yourself now through the power of your grace. Amen. Everybody, aren't you proud of these people? Come on. We're proud of you. But I want to tell you who's really proud of you, your Father in heaven. He's waited for you for this day. You know, there's a story that Jesus tells about the Father who had a son that was really lost, messed up in life. The Bible says that when that son made a decision to return, his father saw him coming from a long way off. You know why? Because he looked for him every day. That's what a father does. He's been looking for you every day. And he's ready to celebrate you because this is your day. Everybody, let's pray together. And we're going to pray a blessing on them. And at the end of this prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud you say why do you do that because because it's with our mouth it's with our hearts that we believe but with our mouths that we confess that jesus is lord okay and i promise you i won't make it complicated because i tried complicated once and i just confused myself i'm going to make this as simple as i can for you but i want to pray a blessing for you right now now father in the name of jesus i'm thankful for every one of these From all walks of life, every person here has a story. For some of them, that story has got pain. For some of them, I know this for sure, there's some shame that they carry. It's like, if people found this out about what happened to me in my life, they would throw me away. I'm here to tell you that the God of heaven was not going to throw you away, and neither are we. And you need to overcome that, and you can't overcome it. You see, because he wants to take away that shame and take all of the sting and the hurt and the pain and the suffering that you've gone through He took it at Calvary. He took it on the cross. The anger, the bitterness, the rejection, the suffering, the self-hatred, the self-loathing. He took all of that to Calvary. And he wants to do an exchange with you. He wants to take all of that off you, and in, in exchange, he wants to give you his life. Peace, joy, goodness. Kindness, laughter. It was to fill your heart with hope. And so Father, by the work of your spirit, begin to do that divine exchange on the inside of them, even as I'm praying, that they can literally feel it lifting out of their heart. That darkness, hurt, pain. Lord, and just like in the first service, I can literally see it with my eyes. It's like a shower on the inside. I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you've kind of been grubbing around outdoor, and you get in the shower, and you're just amazed at the dirt that's on the shower floor. Well, that's kind of what I see, except it's being washed out of the inside of you, and it's like streams of living water, all of that ugliness, ugly things that you've believed about yourself, lies that you've, you've have been told you that you're never going to make it, and you're not good for anything, that you'll never be anybody. All of it, I can see it being washed out of your life and literally going down the drain because of the grace of God. You are somebody. The, the God of heaven knows your name, and he said, this is your day. This is your day. Your life will never be the same. If you just embrace him and continue to walk with him, your life will never be the same, and your life will become a testimony of miracles around the world. And I don't say that lightly. You have no idea what Jesus can do with you. And how he's going to take your story to be a change agent into somebody else that needs hope. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and woman up here. I'm so grateful for them. And I pray that you would soak them in the reality, make Jesus real to them through the grace of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now I want you to pray with me this simple prayer. Jesus. I set you apart in the deepest part of my life as Lord. I bend to you. Take off from me all of the past and all that it's put upon me. The lies that I've believed about myself about life itself and in its place pour into me your life joy hope love fill me with your presence and become real to me because I want to have a before and after story. Through you I can. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, everybody.